All right, so once again, good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to see you guys. This morning, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 24. If you guys want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. And we're going to attempt to cover the whole chapter. But we're really going to emphasize the last uh, portion from 22 through 27. But I want us to read it together so that we understand and we kind of follow along with the history of what's going on here. I'll give you a little bit of background. And... Um, I think it's a really interesting story that we're going to read today. It's actually a very tragic story that we're going to read today. About a very prominent historical individual. By the way, some, you know, sometimes we, we hear people say, how do you know that the Bible is even real? How do you know that these people even existed? Well, where we find ourselves here in Acts 24, it talks about people that historians have, have validated uh, historians that are outside the Bible. I mean, the Bible is very much a legitimate historical book. But in case there's people out there say like, yeah, well, that's the Bible. I don't know if I want to trust it. There's plenty of uh, extra biblical writings that talk about some of these characters that are listed here. Maybe you've heard of historians like Josephus. He's probably like one of the most popular ones. And he was a, uh, a historian that includes things about Jesus, that includes things about some of these people that we're going to read about today. And there's others like him. Because remember, when we're studying about Acts 24, the Apostle Paul, we're talking about over 1,900 years have passed by since then. That's ancient history, 1,900 years. Paul lived uh, right around 60 A.D., almost 2,000 years ago. And here we have this wonderful account this wonderful narrative, historical narrative by, uh, by Luke, telling us what happened in, in Paul's later years. And so we pick up right here in chapter 24, and we are going to be introduced to, and at the same time we're going to say goodbye to, Felix. And Felix was a Roman governor in charge of Judea. Very much like Pontius Pilate was at the time of Christ. So here we're talking almost 30 years later from when the Lord Jesus Christ had met Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Judea then. And now Felix is the governor of, of Judea. And Paul is going to stand in front of him, stand trial in front of him. He's going to meet uh, Felix, a governor, a prominent individual, and he's going to get a chance to speak to him. And we're going to look, we're going to emphasize this meeting and, and, and this morning, we're going we're gonna to review everything, but we're going to talk, you know, the message title is A Governor's Gospel Rejection. How a, a governor rejected the gospel, or we're going to see that. And our, our, the three points that we're going to look at is how Felix was curious, and we're going to talk about how some of us are curious about the gospel. We're going to make a lot of practical applications and implications. So Felix was curious. He was a curious individual. He wanted to know. But he was also convicted of his sin. He realized that he was at fault. But sadly enough, Felix also acted cowardly. When he had the opportunity, and this is, this is big, when Felix had the opportunity to repent and put his trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins, Instead of surrendering to Christ, he rejected him and ran away from him. 
And that is some major implications for, for all of us as well. So he was curious, he was convicted, but he was also cowardly. That's what we're going to read in chapter 24. If you remember last week, we had, a, I think, a, a good time talking about Paul and, 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 and God's divine protection of Paul. Remember that? Um, uh, you know, we, we talked about how there was 40 men that had vowed to kill Paul. And they weren't going to eat or drink anything until they had him killed. They conspired. They thought they had it all together. They thought they were all smart. Only to have God intervene by having Paul's nephew find out this conspiracy. Then the nephew goes and tells Paul while he was, you know, uh, detained. And uh, the nephew tells Paul, you know what, there's 40 guys. They're going to kill you. They're going to ask for you. And they're going to kill you on the way over there. And then Paul tells him, go tell the uh, garrison commander, Lysias. Go tell him what you heard, but don't tell anybody else. So Lysias finds out in that same very night... Remember, he gets 470 Roman soldiers. He gets 470 soldiers to take this one guy, Paul, back to Caesarea, where the governor's at. And all that is transpiring fairly quickly. If you remember, we're going to read right now in chapter 24, and Paul is standing before Felix. He says, you know what? 12, just 12 days ago, he says, I returned after many years of spreading the gospel. He goes, just 12 days ago, I returned to Jerusalem. I had an offering to give to the brethren, and I was going to offer some sacrifices of my own. He says, and all of a sudden, if you guys remember, just a little background here. He, so Paul is all over, going all over the world, spreading the gospel, telling people about Jesus Christ. And then he returns to Jerusalem, and people had told him, if you remember, if you go to Jerusalem, you're probably going to get arrested, you're going to get beat up, maybe killed. And Paul says, I don't care. I'm going to go with my brethren, I'm going to follow the Lord's will. So he goes to Jerusalem, about five, seven days later, they, a mob rises and they, they, they beat him up. They try to kill him until the Roman soldiers intervene. They take him. They detain him. Then they find out that there's this conspiracy to kill him and they send him over to Caesarea. So all that transpires within 12 days, which is, is, is fairly interesting because sometimes, I mean, the book of Acts covers about 30 years. And so these last chapters only transpired in, the, in, in, in a few, you know, in a week and a half or so. So here's where we pick it up. Last, so last week we talked about Paul was divinely protected against his enemies because God had a job for Paul to complete. And we talked about the same thing for us, beloved. There are dangers out there for a Christian. But if you're in God's will, then we can be like Paul. It doesn't matter what happens. Whatever does happen, it's only because God allowed it. And he's ultimately fulfilling his ultimate plan. And we should be okay with that. But that means things aren't necessarily going to go your way because your ways are not God's ways. That's what we have to surrender, that control. Like Underwood says, you've got to let Jesus take the wheel. He's got to take the wheel. And he's going to drive you to wherever he wants you to go. And if you're doing that, then come what may come, you, you will be okay with that. And you'll know that as long as God has your back and he has a plan for you, you will be divinely protected. And we looked at all that. So we pick it up here in chapter 24. And so basically now, there, Paul is taken to Caesarea to be tried by the governor. The governor now gets to decide what's going to happen with Paul. So we'll pick it up from there. We'll read it. We'll go fairly quickly through it until we get to the end of the chapter. So here we go. It says, Now after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus, these gave evidence to the governor against Paul. So Paul was standing trial. 
And these people traveled 70 miles to go to Caesarea from Jerusalem just to accuse Paul. They hated him. Verse 2. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. This is a guy who's a real lawyer, right? He knows how to talk. He's prepping him up. Verse 5. For we have found this man, Paul, a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple as we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. Yeah, right. They were trying to kill him. Remember that? But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands. So now he's throwing Lysias under the bus, this guy. is unbelievable. Verse 8. Commanding his accusers to come to you by examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Let me stop there real quick. So what's happening then is Paul is in Caesarea. He's detained, living in, in, in a, basically in the palace, right? Not in a dungeon, but in the palace, uh, protected by the Romans. And then the high priest and these elders come and make their accusation against Paul to Felix, the governor. So he's on trial, and Felix is basically the judge. There's no jury. It's just Felix. He's going to determine Paul's outcome. And so they, they, the, the high priest and these other Jewish leaders, they basically hire a lawyer, a good speaker, and he puts forth the accusation against Paul. And what were the accusations? Basically, there were some pretty serious accusations, which they couldn't... Uh, uh, prove, of course. But, but real quick. Sedition. Sedition is basically a rebellion against the, the authority of the land. They were saying this guy is causing trouble and riots all over the place. Was that true? Well, riots and trouble did follow Paul, but it wasn't because he started them. I guess it depends how you look at it, right? Because several times there were riots that occurred because of Paul, but it's not that he was causing them. Is that he was part of it because he was sharing the gospel. So sedition, which is a, a breaking of Roman law. You can't act that way and go unpunished. It's a resistance towards lawful authority, rebellion. And then the accusation is sectarianism. That's against Jewish law, and it's heresy. He says he's the ringleader of the sect, the Nazarenes. There was a lot of negative connotation to that, Nazarenes. Remember, I forget which one of the... Uh, Disciples says, can anything good come out of Nazarene, Nazareth? Uh, so the fact that he was a ringleader of this sect of the Nazarenes, uh, that was a, a, an accusation of sectarianism, which violated Jewish law, and it was basically heresy. And then sacrilege, which is, you know, they say he was trying to defile the temple. That's, that's going against God. So this guy's saying, here's Paul, he's, he's just a no good guy. He, he's breaking Roman law, he's breaking God's law, and he's breaking our Jewish law. He's just no good. He, they wanted him dead. Uh, verse 10. So that was the accusation. So there's Paul, you know, listening to this, this professional lawyer uh, accuse him, and all the Jewish leaders backing up this, this, uh, this lawyer. So verse 10. Paul gets a chance to defend himself. Then Paul, 
after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, and listen to his answer, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. So Paul's got some skills too, you know. Because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. He's like, man, I went to Jerusalem to worship, not to cause trouble. Verse 12. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city. Nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, the, the way is the way is, is what they basically called Christians. They're of the way. They're Christians. He says, verse 14, But I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, basically in the Old Testament. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of both of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. <laughs> it's interesting to me that he doesn't just defend himself against their accusations, but he goes out and puts himself out there and says, you know, they can't prove anything of what they said. I just went up to Jerusalem to, to worship. Nobody found me causing trouble. But then he, he could have left it at that. But not Paul. He didn't just defend himself, but then he starts preaching about the resurrection and about his faith in Christ. And I love that. He could have just shied away from that or, or just kept his mouth quiet, but he didn't. Verse 17. Now after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with the mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. He says maybe they could kind of accuse me of yelling this thing out there when... Remember that? He was being accused and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were trying him. And, he, and Paul realizes that and he says, I'm being tried for the resurrection of the dead, which the Sadducees don't believe in. And the Pharisees do. And they started fighting him against themselves. He said, if you want to accuse me of that, fine, because I did say that. Verse 22. All right, so here we go. All that was background. And a lot of good stuff in there, but I want to get to this portion here. All right, so here we go. But when Felix, the governor of Judea, Roman governor of Judea, Heard these things, and listen to this, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he knew about Christians. He's the governor of Judea. He understands there's this group of people and what they're about. And he knows they're not troublemakers. So he says, having accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the Roman commander that brought Paul over, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he basically doesn't make a decision there. We, it's not noted. We don't even know if Lysias ever is called for or ever comes down to Caesarea. But Felix just says, you know what? Smart guy, politician. He says, I'm not going to make my decision now. Because if he said Paul is innocent, then all the Jews would have gone on his case and accused him against, with, by the... Uh, 
uh, would have accused him uh, to Nero. The, the, um, Nero was the emperor. So he just says, you know what, I'll make my decision later when Lysias comes. He kind of washed his hands of the situation. It says, so he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. So again, Felix says, I'm not going to make a decision. He understands that Paul, he understands that Paul is not at fault. He should have let Paul go. But he doesn't want to offend the Jews. So he says, all right, you guys go home. When Lysias comes, I'll ask him, I'll find out, and then I'll make my decision. But he really meant, he wasn't planning on making any decision, as we're going to read right now. And then he says, tells the centurion, he says, take him, keep him detained, but give him liberty. If his friends want to come over and give him something, let him. He's got all the liberty he wants. He knows that Paul is innocent. Verse 24. And after some days, check this out, interesting, interesting. Here's where we kind of pick it up, I think. Our first point here on our outline is that Felix was curious. So one, he already knew about the way. He had an accurate knowledge of the way. He knew about Christians and about Christianity. And then he hears Paul. He knows he's innocent, but he doesn't make a decision. And look at verse 24. It says, After some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, or Drusilla who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Interesting. He knew about Christianity. He listens to Paul's defense. A few days later, he gets his wife, who's Jewish, and he says, come. I don't know exactly how that went down, but basically he gets his wife and he calls for Paul. Hey, give me that prisoner, that Paul guy, the Christian. And I would imagine they sit down and they hear Paul out concerning the faith in Christ. So Paul basically gets a chance to evangelize and share the gospel with this governor and his wife. How cool is that? That's very cool. And it tells us that at the very least, Felix was curious to know more. I mean, imagine, you know about Christianity, and here's Paul who just evangelized the whole known world. If you want to hear the gospel from somebody, you want to hear it from Paul. That's who you hear it from through the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures. So here he has God's, perhaps God's best evangelist speaking to the governor and his wife. So the question becomes, what does Paul say? Does he, does he tell them the nice part of the gospel only? Does he make it non-offensive to this Roman governor who can let him go free? Does he leave out the offensive part? Let's check it out. So Felix was curious, brings his wife, and they sit down with Paul to listen to, to Paul's faith. He wanted to know. Let me make a little point on this. He wanted to know. He was curious. Look, I don't know, I don't know where you're at. Some of you I don't know. I've never met. I know we're all in different places in our lives, in our relationship with God. Some of us are into it. Some of us are maybe here because we're curious, like Felix. I want to know a little more. I've heard so many testimonies of individuals that say, you know what, I got into Christianity just because I was curious. I wanted to prove them wrong. I wanted to find out for myself. Not that I was completely devoted, but I wanted to, I wanted to find out a little bit more. I was curious. And maybe you're here this morning because you're curious. Somebody invited you to church and you're thinking, like, church is not for me. But I'll go. 
I'll go check it out. I'm curious. All right. Well, I think Felix was curious. And it reminds me of somebody that was also curious. He was a curious individual himself. Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Here's this tax collector, rich guy, and he hears in Jericho, he hears that Jesus is coming, and he sees the crowd, he's a short guy, and he's curious, he wants to see Jesus. So he goes over, and he can't see because of the crowd, and what does he do? He climbs up a sycamore tree. Here's this rich guy climbing up a tree just to take a glimpse of Jesus. He was curious, and Zacchaeus was rewarded for his curiosity. He wanted to know. And Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, you already knew him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm having dinner with you at your house today. Salvation has come to your house. Right? And that's where we get that cool verse that we're learning on Wednesday night, Luke 19.10. That's the context. You know, people start saying, oh, Zacchaeus, what's Jesus doing at Zacchaeus' house? Zacchaeus is a sinner. And Jesus Christ says, don't you know that the Son of Man, God himself, me, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what I'm here for. That's the context on that verse. It's beautiful. So Zacchaeus' curiosity was rewarded. And here Felix is also curious. He brings his Jewish wife to hear Paul out. But he has a tragic, different result than Zacchaeus. Look here. Verse 25. So Paul is explaining concerning the faith in Christ. Verse 25. Now as he reasoned about, listen to this, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, what, was, what did Paul talk to him about? Now let me tell you a little bit about Felix, because he wasn't a nice guy. And, and by the way, I say this because you could look up Felix, Roman governor, online, and you'll get thousands of, of, uh, of results. He's an a f- actual factual individual just as the bible states it's not fictitious stuff that paul made things these things up you could look up who felix is and you could read up his background and he was a former slave who was raised all the way up to be a governor of judea and he had a very influential brother that hung out with the uh, emperor emperor nero and so he gets this charge this uh privilege to be the governor of judea but it says that he, he, he was a bad dude. I mean, uh, he, he mistreated people, had people assassinated. He, uh, he, he basically felt that he could do whatever he wanted. He thought he could do, you know, I'm governor. I could do whatever I want. Nobody can tell me anything. And he did these atrocities, very immoral. Uh, this wife that he has here is believed to be his third one. And she was just previously the wife of some other uh, government official. Very similar to what happened with John the Baptist when he called out this uh, uh, official and then had his head cut off because of that. So here we have Felix, who's also basically his new wife was somebody else's wife. So he was living in adultery. He had other previous wives. He was just a mess all over. And so... When Paul begins to speak to him, you know what he does? He makes the gospel personal. And he speaks to his sin, just like the Lord Jesus Christ did. And so did the other apostles and disciples. They spoke the gospel in a personal way to convict people of their sin. So Paul knew who this guy was, what he was about. 
And he starts talking to him about what? Righteousness. Felix is not righteous. He's doing the opposite. He's not doing the right thing. He's doing everything wrong. Paul tells him about self-control. This guy Felix had none. He did whatever he pleased. And he felt that he could get away with it. And then Paul tells him about the coming judgment. So he says, dude, I know you're unrighteous. Let me tell you about righteousness. I know you're out of control. Let me tell you about self-control. And he says, I know you think you can get away with everything. Let me tell you about God who's going to judge you one day. That's Paul, though, huh? He wasn't going to shy away from it. And look at here, verse 25. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, so here's Felix being convicted, being thrown his, his sin at his face. Look at what he does. Felix was afraid, as he should have been, and answered. You know what would have been wonderful? If Felix would have been afraid, and then he would have gone down on his knees, and done like the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? But he didn't. Felix was afraid and answered, go away from now. Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. He was convicted of sin. Why do I say he was convicted of the sin? He was afraid. If he would have been convicted, he would have said like, who cares? Yeah, I did that. And so what? So he knew there was something up about this Christianity, this God of the Christians, who was going to judge him for the sins that he was committing. And he was afraid That tells me he was convicted of the sin. He understood that he was at fault. And he understood that there was something negative coming his way. So he was curious. He was convicted. But then we see here that he acted cowardly. He says, he he becomes afraid. And he says, go away for now. I'll call on you again when it's more convenient. Beloved, have you ever done that? Has anybody ever said that to you? I, I keep remembering this. And it happened 20 years ago, but it, it just, you know, a friend of my brother Ralph comes over to the house, and I don't know if it was my dad that started talking to him, my brother Hector. I probably wasn't. I was, I was a young lad. But somebody's sharing the gospel with him and telling him about Christianity. I think it was Hector, my brother. And, and here's my brother's friend says, yeah, that sounds pretty good, but you know what? Maybe later when I'm older. Maybe later when I'm older. Yeah, it sounds good. It makes sense. But it's not for me right now. I'm basically, I'm going to continue living my life. I'm going to continue doing my thing. I'll stay in charge of the wheel of my life. And maybe later when I'm older and I'm done living it up, I will give my life to Christ. And that's a sad reality for many people. And I hope that it's not the reality of any of us here today. That as we listen to the gospel... As we listen about God's love and God's mercy and God's righteousness and God's judgment, that we don't put it off. The Bible says we're all sinners. That's no secret. Hope you're not trying to hide that, which we do. And let me tell you something else in case you didn't know. You probably realize you're a sinner, but you don't realize how bad you are. Because human nature tries to justify and make things not as bad. But I do some good things too, so it's not too bad. You're a sinner. You're worse than you think you are. And 
we can't even imagine how offensive we are to the perfect holy God who can't stand even the least of sins. And what happens with Felix? He becomes afraid. And that's good. It's good that he becomes afraid. And if you're sitting there being afraid, that's good. You have to come to a point where if you see anybody having an encounter with God, you know what happens to them? They're afraid. Remember the apostles or the, you know, the disciples in, in the middle of the storm in the sea and they're thinking that they're going to die. Even though they're fishermen, they think they're going to die. And then Jesus comes and he calms the storm. And it says that everybody became afraid of him. They understood. They got a glimpse of God's glory, God's power. And they were afraid of him. That fear, beloved, is good. In Psalms and in Proverbs it says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. To fear him, to reverence him, to understand that he's not like one of us. That he's much greater, much more powerful, much more holy than we could even imagine. And when you begin to get that glimpse, you should become afraid. But you don't want to leave it as fear. You want to be afraid? And you could do one thing. You can run. Or you can surrender, beloved. You can run and try to hide. Or you can surrender. When do you become a Christian? How does a person become a Christian? When he reveals himself to you. And you surrender. When God allows you to see the gravity of your sin, and you don't run away from God, but you surrender to Him. And you ask for forgiveness. You ask for mercy. And you go to Him humbly. And you plead for grace. Not because you deserve it. Not because you've earned it. But because He's good. Because He's love and He offers that to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But Felix didn't do that, beloved. Let's learn from that. Felix was afraid, verse 25, and he answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. You know what? I'm not liking what you're saying right now. Come back later. Maybe you'll come back with a different tune. Maybe you'll take it easy next time, and I'll like what you're saying. My job is not to be up here and say things that you'll like either. My job is to tell you what the Word of God says. And that is going to be offensive at times. But that's good. It's good to be offended by God. I don't want to offend you. But if the Word of God offends you, that's a good thing. And hopefully we don't say, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. And, and, and let's, let's wrap it up right here. Did he really mean that? It says, meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul. Here's Paul telling him about righteousness, about doing things right. And here's Felix thinking like, I'm going to keep calling you until you give me a bribe. You know what that means? You know what that says? No sign of repentance. No sign of desiring to turn his life around and ask for mercy or change 
or do things right. Paul had just said, it's about righteousness, self-control, the, the coming judgment. And here's this guy thinking like, yeah, that's scary, but I'm going to keep doing whatever I've been doing anyway. Taking bribes. It says, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. So he knew that he was innocent, but he was hoping to get some money out of it, and then he'll let him go. This guy was greedy, covetous. He's already a governor, but he's wanting to take bribes. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. What do you think Paul used to talk to Felix about? The weather? The Lakers? Bad season? The latest Olympics? The fastest runner? I bet every time Paul had an opportunity, he would share the gospel all over to him. And listen to this. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix. Felix gets kicked out. And Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. This guy was a mess. But listen to this. This is what really struck me. For two years, he's having meetings with Paul. And no doubt, Paul is sharing the gospel every time with him. And what effect did the gospel have on Felix? Zero, beloved. If Felix was knowledgeable of Christianity before he even met Paul, imagine two years later, he was very well acquainted with Christianity. And still, it didn't change his life one bit. He was still a briber, taking bribes, unjust, immoral, Understanding that he was going to face judgment one day. But guess what? He didn't care. He cared more about living his life for himself. And indulging himself in the sins that he was used to. I think there's lots to learn from that. We could point the finger at him and and judge him. But beloved, let's make sure we're not the same. Let's make sure that we're not just curious about Christianity. Yeah, Christianity sounds good, but let's keep it over there. You know, we'll, we'll be Christians on Sunday morning. But don't let it affect my life. Goodness, who wants that? Let's make sure that if God convicts us of our sin, that we repent and confess it and turn to Christ for forgiveness. And we don't just become afraid and pretend that it's, you know, maybe it's not going to happen. Face up to it. And let's not be cowardly. Why not be cowardly? Let me, let me finish up with uh, one verse. Revelations chapter 21, verse 8. Revelation 21, verse 8. This is like towards the end of the Bible. Second to the last chapter. Revelation 21, verse 8. You want to know what happened to Felix? It says right here. This is John explaining his vision of heaven, the heavenly things. Revelation 21, I'll pick it up in verse 6. John says, And he, Jesus, said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give 
of the fountain of the, of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You know what happened to Felix? If he continued in his path, he would find himself in the lake of fire for all eternity. As a result of having rejected the gospel. Beloved, people do not go to hell because they're sinners. People go to hell because they reject the gospel. They don't accept the free gift of salvation. Jesus is the light of the world, but it says in John 3 that people loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. We all have the same problem, beloved. All of our deeds are evil. And all of us are in darkness. But if Jesus gives you the light of gospel, you need to respond to it. Not just be convicted by it, be curious about it, and then say, maybe later. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Today is the day of salvation, Paul says. Don't put it off to tomorrow. You don't even know if you're going to be here tomorrow. If God is speaking to your heart, surrender your life to Him. He says, I know you're a sinner. He knows who you are. And yet He's giving that invitation to you to be part of His family, to have your sins forgiven, to have your sins washed, and that though they are as crimson, they shall be as white as wool, white as snow. Completely cleansed by the blood of Christ. That's why we say that God is good. That's why we say that God is merciful and gracious. Because he offers us eternal life. Not because of who we are, but despite of who we are. But he does say, you're a sinner. You need to confess, accept that you are a sinner. That you don't meet my standards. You need to repent. You need to Surrender your life and ask God for forgiveness. The governor didn't do that. Governor Felix enjoyed his sin too much and his life too much and his false sense of security and power too much to surrender his life to Christ. We pray that none of us here will do the same, but that we will surrender to Christ. And if you're thinking like, oh, how do I do that? What do I do? Just ask God. Talk to him. Says, he who knocks shall be opened. He who seeks shall find. He who asks, it shall be given to him. God's not hiding from you. He's waiting for you. Let's stand to be dismissed. If any of you have a question about anything we talked about, if you have a comment, if you want me to pray with you, if you want uh, somebody to pray with you, for you, we are more than willing to do that. We have several people that can do that. If you have a question about anything, that's what we're here for.
Precious and mighty Father, we thank you once again, first of all, for all your blessings. And we thank you for allowing us the opportunity to spend time together here with one another and with you, listening to your word, to your message. Fathers, we see you, through your Holy Spirit, working through Paul, ministering to this Governor Felix. And we see Governor Felix here rejecting your gracious gift of forgiveness, and instead acting cowardly and running away from you. Our prayer, Father, is that none of us here would act in that manner, but that if you have revealed our sin to us in our lost state, that you may help us to bend our knees and surrender our lives to you, and to trust in your word and your goodness and love that you will forgive us of all of our sins, if we confess them. We pray that if you allow us to see sin in us, that we may repent from that and turn to you for grace and forgiveness. That we may live a life that is worthy of your calling and that brings honor and glory to you. For you, Father, are worthy. I thank you once again for everybody who's here. We ask that you may dismiss us with your blessing. For we pray in the precious and mighty name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, beloved, you are dismissed. God bless you.